0: Welcome to episode four thirty two of the Sleeper and the Bust. It is Tuesday, February twenty eighth. I'm your host, Paul Spohr, and today is a special guest episode with Prospect Guru, Prospect Genius, if you will. He won't, he he won't dispute that term, will he? Eric Longheng, and how you doing, bud? <laughs> I, I'll
1: dispute it just for the sake of humility. because you're not that I'll, arrogant. Yep. No, 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 not publicly.
0: <laughs> but get a few pops in him, and he'll tell you. I'm the best one doing it. No, I, I will I will heap the praise on on Eric though. Eric is tremendous. He is our lead prospect analyst here at Fangraphs. Uh he used to cover um, draft coverage over at ESPN. I mean, the dude puts in the work too. Always at the Arizona Fall League, always at games. This is not somebody who is just, you know, looking at box scores trying to make up make up stuff. Eric's out there doing the work, and so I figured it'd be great to have you on to talk some prospects. They're a big part of the fantasy game these days. They probably have been for you know about the last decade or so. As as the information age, uh, you know, got bigger, it became easier to follow these guys because of people like you being able to disseminate your work to us, and it it, it kind of changed the game. And everybody wants the shiny new toy. I understand mm-hmm. it because if you hit on those guys. You know, especially in keeper leagues, you got somebody great for years to come. But I think even in redraft leagues, they maybe get overdrafted a little bit, but that's okay. Uh, I I don't have to take them. But I do. I want to start right away uh, with the question of the day because we're we're gonna go big with the guy that is turning up number one on on all the early lists that we've seen so far. MLB.com, Baseball America's. Um, I don't have you put out your entire list yet. You're doing your team by team. Have you put out a top 100 yet?
1: No, the top 100 is tentatively scheduled to come out March 13th.
0: Okay, great. So this guy, you don't have to give away, this guy will be number one, but I'm certain he'll be at least the top three, and that's, of course, Andrew Benintendi, and I'll just point-blank ask, how good is he going to be this year in your estimation?
1: He's going to be good. (laughs) It's a its a Major League-ready skill set. I saw him last year at AA, shortly after they bumped him up, so it was... The middle of Portland's lineup was Benintendi, Johan Moncada, and, uh, Mauricio Dubon, well, like, were the two, three, and four hitters wow. in the lineup for the game I so, saw. Yeah, it was, it was, um it was a good minor league club to go see. Uh, and it's, I understand, I've said publicly, Benintendi is gonna be number two on okay. the, the overall okay. top 100. I've committed to Moncada as the number one overall guy, uh, But Benintendi is certainly the more polished, major league-ready skill set of the two of those. And it's the question that scouts and executives have about Benintendi in general is, if this guy is going to play a corner, and based on how good Jackie Bradley, and even if something happens to Bradley, how good Mookie Mookie Betts is defensively in center field, if Benintendi is playing a corner, what sort of power output is he going to have, and how will that impact his overall value? Uh, at a corner outfield spot but even if we're talking about uh, 12 to 15 home runs initially uh, 15 to 18 maybe you see him top out at like 22 home runs down the line mm-hmm. i think we're looking at 40 plus doubles uh, a career walk rate in excess of nine percent uh, and potentially elite defense in a corner so from a okay. pure baseball perspective uh, he he could st- it wouldn't surprise me if he stepped on the field this year and was a first division everyday player uh, but fantasy wise especially if uh, I don't know. I, I don't play fantasy baseball anymore, but I don't know if there's uh, a difference on your roster between corner outfielders and center field.
0: Most not. Uh, some right. leagues do split it up to just to kind of make things a, a little bit uh, more difficult, especially with the way left field has been recently. But for the most part, it is just straight outfield, but there are definitely leagues that do go left, center, right. And I think that would help Benintendi because he's going to be left field qualified.
1: Right. Uh, so, yeah, I would, especially if you're in an OBP league, I think he's someone that you can expect to contribute to your fantasy team right away this year.
0: And, and being part of that lineup, the runs should be there. The batting average should be a yeah. piece. Uh, what about his speed? I know he's some in the minors, uh, only ran once in, in the majors. It's never been huge speed, even in the minors. Mm-hmm. But uh, what, what are we looking at there? Is it is it something that we can get the double digits? This year or, or is he going to be one of those guys that showed some double digits in the minors and then Benintendi has to kind of learn the league? Cause I think we've seen that a lot in, in recent past too with different guys. What's Benintendi's speed output look like this year?
1: Yeah, I think that, I think you're right. I think that there's probably more actual game speed than there's going to be stolen base output. He's someone who when I've seen him has picked his spots. Okay. Uh, But is not overly aggressive on, on the base paths. He's more of a of a good like first to third base runner than he is someone who's going to go get you second base. If he stole in excess of fifteen bases this year, I, I'd say that that probably be that's probably on the high end of of what I'd expect. Okay.
0: Okay. So a a solid contributor, but probably not somebody who's going to uh, you know turn your team around. And he is being drafted as the thirty second outfielder off the board. Sandwiched right in between him are Piscotti and teammate Jackie Bradley Jr. Again, I know you don't play fantasy baseball, but how do you feel about that with, with that trio there? Does he belong in a grouping around there? Lorenzo Kane, Adam Eaton just above that. Yosmani Tomas, Byron Buxton just below that. So that's kind of the group that Benintendi is around. How do you, How does that strike you for fantasy?
1: I think – I think that Buxton, the adjustments he started to show at the end of last year are the sign of legitimate growth. That's a guy who was always, even as an amateur prospect, scouts looked at Byron Buxton and said, uh, this is pretty raw, but off the charts, talent wise. And there are very few comparables to when you just look at the tools, independent of baseball acumen, uh, it's like Mike Trout level tools. And he's just, Buxton has just always been so physically dominant. That it almost – it took him the major leagues before we all sort of realized, oh, OK, so this is just – this is as far as this guy's physical talent is going to take him on its own. Now it's time for adjustments, and I feel like the Twins, who have been jerking him around, finally are starting to, to see, oh, let's just let this guy play. We're real, we're rebuilding, and things will work themselves out. Yeah, just give him uh,
0: the playing time.
1: Yeah, so of, of the guys that you mentioned, I would have Benintendi ahead of Tomas – um pretty clearly even though and i
0: i don't love them uh, so i would too
1: i'm hesitant to to commit to jackie bradley jr's power output from last year as as a long-term thing it's never really been like that uh throughout the course of his career so i'd be i think there's probably a little bit more uh variance at, at play with bradley's 2016 power output and uh I, I, am probably more confident in Benatendi's ability to produce offensively next year than I am Bradley. Okay. And who's also had his share of injuries, uh, throughout the course of his career as well.
0: Exactly. That certainly stunted his growth as, as, as he came up. Um, since you mentioned Johan Moncada, I'm going to switch up the, the, the rundown just a little sure. bit on you and go to Moncada and just ask another general, uh, you know, what kind of meaningful playing time can he get
1: in Chicago this year in your estimation? Man, that's a good question. They, the White Sox are moving him back to second base. So the late season experiments that we saw with Boston, trying him at third base towards the end of uh, the big league season, and then primarily working him there in fall league, that's going away. Okay, they are moving him back to second base. I saw him yesterday uh, make a diving stop at second to start a four six three double play. And his arm action has always been awkward for second base. You know how second baseman have that very sort of specific, uh, like flip my hips and throw yep. arm action? He's sort of starting, he's starting to grow into that and we're seeing that more consistently, uh, than we did when he was in the lower minors. Uh, I think, I think that the White Sox want to be confident with him there so that he can come up to the big leagues and just experience big league pitching without necessarily having to worry about continuing to develop the defense. I think they want to feel like he's fine there, he's as polished as he's going to be uh in the minor leagues as far as defensive second baseman goes, and that's when you'll see him okay. promote. They can th- their motivation should purely be what is best for you on Moncada's development. And this isn't the sort of and he's on the 40, man, but I think that they're more likely to look at uh Saladino and even Matt Davidson was sitting in the middle of their of their lineup at yesterday's spring game against the Cubs. So if there are at bats to go around, Saladino's versatility probably means someone higher in the pecking order than Moncada comes up. Okay. Um so I don't the answer is I I don't know, but I wouldn't it's not like the White Sox have any reason to to rush him.
0: Exactly. Even yeah. if he if he takes to it quickly, I mean, it could be two months at least to try to learn, uh, second base and not necessarily learn, but kind of re, reestablish himself there. They're not going anywhere. Like I don't, I don't see any path to where they surprise even, um, and, and, and their fringe contending to where they'd want to bring him up. So I think it could be a while and that has my outlook on him just down a little bit in terms of where I want to draft him. But of course keeper leagues and beyond, uh, you right. definitely want Yomakata. What about Cody Bellinger? Another guy. Who is, is has tons of buzz right now? Hit another monster homer yesterday. Yeah, he i that. Fall league, the swing. I mean, the dude lets it eat. I love it. Um, you know, he's first baseman by trade, but has the athleticism. And I believe you mentioned this at the Arizona Fall League to where he could play the outfield. And so I think that that might be something that's in play. How, how do you feel? Uh, where 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 is he going to get playing time? And yeah. how meaningful could it
1: be this year in LA? So. It is. He, I think he is just an Adrian Gonzalez tweak, or like oblique strain or, or something weird from just being the Dodgers' everyday first baseman. And if he comes up and starts hitting, it's, I think it's going to be hard for them to send him back down. And you're right. He is objectively athletic enough to play the outfield. I know scouts who think he could pass in center field. And the, the issue that this brings up among scouts is, would you rather have a 40 or 45 defender in center field or a 70 glove at first base? Because that's what Pellinger is at first base. Mm-hmm. Um, it is a an epic swing. And I wouldn't be surprised if there were high strikeout totals for the duration of his career, let alone upon his initial call-up. But... That type of swing means that when he is making contact, and we've learned this with Jock Peterson, it's I was the same thing.
0: Just gonna <laughs> invoke yeah. his name because it, it seems very similar. That they gotta take the strikeouts for the power.
1: Yeah, the, those dudes are are out there to hit dingers. And I think Bellinger, from the moment he sets foot on a major league diamond, will at least be able to do that. And probably stay in the lineup just because the defense is so incredible. So as far as timing on call-up goes, I don't know. It's probably, like I said, going to take some sort of injury. Uh, but I do think Bellinger is clearly ahead of some of the other guys in that system who are close to the majors. Willie Calhoun, Alex Verdugo, both good hitting track records all the way up through double-A. Uh, but Bellinger trumps them both. So even if there's an injury in the outfield or Puig gets traded or, or something like that, uh, I would expect Bellinger to be the guy who gets the first call.
0: Yeah, because Adrian Gonzalez, you know, he's going to be 35 this year, but that dude is, yeah. is a health monster, uh, about right. 56 or more every single year of his career so far. <laughs> so, you know, it can go it can just happen at, at, at mid thirties uh, an injury, but sure. his certain his track record certainly hasn't shown it. Let's shift over to the middle infield and talk about two guys who always rate highly on prospect lists because they are complete players, but um, I'm a little bit uncertain about their their fantasy prospects. So let's talk about Dansby Swanson first. Uh, what are okay. his fantasy prospects for seventeen, and then long term, and then we'll dive in on uh, J.P. Crawford. So two division mates, in sure. the middle.
1: Uh, Swanson, I think, is going to be get. He's going to get at bats all year. Uh, that that organization is committed to his development at shortstop. I think they want him to be at the forefront of their core for the future, both as far as the clubhouse goes and in the center of that lineup goes. So I would expect him to be up uh, all season long. There's there's disparate opinions about how much he's going to hit right away. We did see some swing and miss at the big league level last year. It was always anticipated while he was at Vanderbilt that he was going to strike out a little bit in the big leagues. There's just, uh, if, as far as a bat, bat path goes, it is like, um, there's just some natural swing and miss to it. Mm-hmm. But he hadn't displayed that through his pro career up until uh, he got to the big leagues last year. So he might only end up hitting something like 250 or 260 next year. But I do think that there's a chance for 8-12 to 12 home runs and, you know, 12-15 to 15 steals. I wouldn't expect him to be fully formed Dansby Swanson. When people talk about his polish, they're more or less referring to his ability to competently compete in the big leagues right now rather than him being totally developed. Exactly. as a prospect and, and so and
0: without going to triple a by the way he, he played 84 games in double a yeah. and then he's in the majors that speaks to the polish more than like you said a complete product upon arrival
1: right and i think that last year's line during his cup of coffee was babbitt inflated okay. so i wouldn't expect 300 360 440 like he put up uh towards the end of last season against september competition but as like uh, I, I do think he's a viable starting fantasy shortstop, though, just not someone who's going to put up uh, big numbers in some of the categories that you might care about.
0: Well, the volume certainly helps because, uh, like yeah. you say, he's going to play from day one. There's no reason for them not to have him there. Uh, J.P. Crawford, probably not going to play from day one. How quickly no. can he be up, and, and what's he look like this year and beyond?
1: Yeah, he's Crawford's offensive tools are not fantasy-friendly. Okay. He's not a big speed guy. He's always been a 45 or 50 runner for me. And offensively, most of the value is tied up in his approach. He's got a really good feel for contact, a good idea of the strike zone. But on bat speed, on power, uh, it's it's modest. So uh, unless you're in an OBP league, he's probably never going to be a high priority player for you in general, let alone right now where he's got his own issues to work on, his footwork, In the box has been ever evolving. You know, I remember seeing him his first full pro season at Lakewood and his footwork was constantly changing. Then through double A in the fall league, uh, cutting his stride out with two strikes, which has sort of come and gone since then. There's still work to be done there, even though he's at triple A. And the season that he put up at Reading two years ago was probably, uh, a caricature. Of what the true offensive skills are, because that's just what Redding does to hitters. So, uh, if the money comes up, I don't know. Uh, Freddie Galvez had a pretty good season last year for twenty. 20 somehow, I know. Yeah, I had <laughs> no idea how the hell that happened.
0: Uh,
1: but, but yeah, I think eventually he might be, you know, a middle middle of the road. You know, like I guess someone who, if you're in a twelve to sixteen team league, ends up in the back half of of that okay uh, but the, he's had to make adjustments at every level and even when he gets the call up this year, and I think that he probably will at some point, he's probably not someone I'd be targeting. I wouldn't expect him to make any sort of impact right away. So
0: JP Crawford strikes me as one of those guys who is a better real life prospect than fantasy. So don't yes. just go down your top 100 list picking guys for fantasy because you could end up with, uh, with some disappointment as far as Crawford goes.
1: Yeah, right. definitely read, definitely read the scouting report too <laughs> instead of just looking at like, Who's you know number one and number two? Like yeah, you definitely for the fantasy purposes. And Nick Gordon's another guy like that who might be up this year, but is more a top one hundred, you know, top fifty for some. I think prospect in baseball because he can competently play shortstop mm-hmm. and sort of hit and might have a little bit of power. Like it's just this guy plays shortstop, so he's a big leaguer and is therefore on you know our top one hundred list. Okay, uh, but doesn't have the sort of fantasy implications that otherwise might be indicated by where he's ranked.
0: That that makes sense. And I, I know when I first started looking at prospects uh, in fantasy, I made the mistake of just, well, he's the number seven guy. I'll take him. And nobody in the room said anything because they were laughing at the fact that I took some defensive stalwarts. So don't yeah. make the same mistake I did years ago, folks. Um, this next guy is very interesting to me. Eno and I got to interview him in, in Fall League two years ago. He had a nice Fall League out there. Austin Meadows. And he's a guy who has touched AAA, so you know he's going to be there. He's going to be a, a step away, but obviously he's blocked off pretty fiercely with a, with yeah. an outfield of and Marte, Polanco. So what has to happen there for, for Meadows to come up outside? Obviously, injury uh, could could bring him up right away. But if if those three stay healthy, is Meadows in AAA all year?
1: He might be if those three are healthy and. Touch isn't traded. Mm-hmm. The only path the playing time that I can envision for Meadows aside from injury is Josh Bell is so horribly bad defensively at first base that they have to ask Meadows to try to make some sort of emergency conversion there. Um, Bell has had issues for like probably almost two years now defensively at first base since they asked him to move there because they, that logjam already existed exactly. as he came through the system. So he's been trying to play first base for a couple years and is still bad. And if it gets to the point where they just can't deal with it anymore, where it's having an impact in the big league club, I think Meadows makes sense as the first guy to ask, Hey, try this mid on <laughs> and let's go year. take some ground balls and just see what happens. Okay. Um, As a prospect, I think he's one of the top ten in all of baseball. It's a rare combination of the ability to hit with, and hit for power without sacrificing any of the ability to hit. And the, he did struggle that fall, but just watching him, it was clear that it's it's in there.
0: Exactly. And, it was one of yeah. those
1: things you get eyes on
0: him and you're not concerned about the numbers because the, 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 the contact that he did make was, was loud and, and the hits that he got were impactful. Even though I think he only hit like 190, I came away quite impressed to be
1: honest. Yeah. And the the issue with Meadows too is it's, only a, it's a below average arm. So if you're having to force an outfield spot, like it's center field ideally to start, but then it's left, and then at that point – the drop off from left field to first base from a from a real baseball value perspective is like it's not like you're you know, you don't feel that bad about it. Yeah. So if you think Marte is the superior defender in center field anyway, then the drop off from left field to first base is just something that you sort of live with. Okay.
0: Well, that makes, yeah. that makes sense then. Um, but yeah, so be careful with Meadows folks, uh, because you, you basically need a trade or an injury and, and you just never know when either of those things are coming. Uh, let's, let's jump back to a couple guys that used to be in the Texas system. Both were traded as they, uh, amassed pieces to compete. Nick mm-hmm. Williams on Philly and Lewis Brinson in Milwaukee. Who do you like better for 17 and who do you like better long term?
1: Brinson on both. Okay. Williams. Williams has been so bad for me every time I've seen him that there were times when, especially he had a fall league stint too, where he was just so over aggressive that I wanted to NPM, like I wanted to you know non prospect him. He's an, this is an org guy, the approach is completely fatal. There's no way, despite this guy's talent, that he's ever going to be a successful big leaguer with this approach. And he, if you look at if you look at his stats, there's like a two-week like two period in 2015 that inflated his walk rate for that season and his OBP for that year. And then when he was traded to Philly, he went right to Redding, which has given us Darren Roth and uh, given prospect writers questions about Matt Rosati and Jim Murphy and Tag Bozide and probably more Dominic Brown and Michael Taylor hype than there should have been. Oh, yeah. So, like, it's Redding does things. <laughs> so he went right from a weird two-week sample that inflated the rest of his batting line to a hitter's paradise in Redding after the trade. And I think everybody was like, "Oh, well, here it is. This is this is the guy that Nick Williams is supposed to be. This is what the prom, the, the bat speed and the elite hitting hands and just sort of the natural loftiness swing. Like it's all coming together. This is it." Uh, and then last year. He moves to Triple A Lehigh Valley, and it's just totally back to being what it has been for the first three or four full seasons of his career before he was sort of – he benefited from his circumstances. Mm-hmm. So I'm not a big Nick Williams guy. I know he's on other top 100 lists. He won't be on mine. Uh, he – if you had to make a statistical comp like on the high end for Nick Williams – Corey Dickerson is pretty, is pretty close. Like it's that type of player. Okay. Corey with, Dickerson outside with, of Coors, of course. Yes. Uh, so if, if that is an attractive fantasy target for you, then fine. Uh, but if not, then, you know, I think that sort of speaks for itself. Okay. I'm not on Williams. Now, Brinson is one of these, look at this athlete. If we te- ever teach him how to hit, he's going to be really good and he's learned. Uh, he's had injury issues throughout the duration of his career, but it's plus raw power, it's plus speed. He's that big six, like he's built like Julio Jones. <laughs> he's like big six three, six four, uh 190, 200 pounds, and started to learn how to move his hands in. He's always one of these long levered guys that opposing pitchers would try to pound inside. And like a year and a half, two years ago, he started to, make the adjustment to that and vaporize velocity up and in that he just previously was not getting to. And I think if you go to the Fangraph's YouTube page and find video of Brinson, there's video of him from high school up through last year. And you can see the physical growth. You can see the, all the mechanical adjustments because they're pretty obvious. Uh, and I think that, yeah, he's a future 2020 player. And I think he might approach that if he's given full at-bats in Milwaukee this year. Oh, that
0: would be nice. I got a chance to see him uh, not just in the falling, but before that year in fifteen. He had a brief stint. I think it might have been a week or two in Round Rock. And I just happened to catch a couple of those games uh, back-to-back. I think they were against the Iowa Cubs. And he was multi in both. And I'm like, this guy, holy crap. And yeah. I, hadn't, I hadn't been as enamored of, of a minor leaguer in Round Rock since Leonis Martin, who has not panned out to the level I had hoped. But uh, mm-hmm. I, I was pretty geeked on Brinson. So I'm, I'm excited yeah. about him in Milwaukee this year, too. So definitely keeping him on my radar. And he's above Nick Williams. I got it. Okay. Long-term guys now. Middle infielders, Ahmed Rosario, Glaber Torres, or Brendan Rogers. Who's your favorite long-term fantasy guy? <sighs>
1: I'm. I just finished the Mets list. It went live uh today before we recorded this, and so like I'm high on the Ahmed Rosario ganja right now. Yeah, you,
0: you, just, you just smoked. It. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and it's still, it's still in there. Okay. Okay.
1: It's Rosario is six two one ninety, and when he first signed with the Mets, it was just a totally raw, malleable, athletic. It's just. He had defensive feel, and that was it. And over the last year and a half, he's grown into his body. And at the Futures game last year, he was parking balls in the upper deck of the left field stands of Petco. And I was like, this guy's not supposed to be able to do this. This is this has been an empty glove that might hit like 280 for the last year and a half since he's arrived in the States. Why is this guy taking these giant... Majestic hacks during BP and looking like he belongs in the cage with Eloy Jimenez and and some of these other guys and uh, if you've been watching any of the Mets spring action you, c- you can see him a little bit and he's getting stronger there's more bat speed in there I I, I know people who think he's gonna have plus raw power at maturity uh, but with Glaber Torres and Brendan Rodgers, I think that sort of in-game output is more likely. Okay. Uh, from a pure baseball standpoint, I think I prefer Rosario because I think he's a better defender at short than either of those two and might put up comparable offensive statistics. There are still people who think Glaber Torres has to kick over to second or third, and same with Rodgers. Uh, maybe not initially in their big league careers, but eventually. Uh, but both of those two have a more confident in their game power playing than uh, Rosario's in the future. I think that would require some adjustment for Rosario to get there. But uh so, yeah, either, you take a pick either of those guys. Torres is more raw than – and I think he's sort of been overrated a little bit at this point, probably because of the pinstripes.
0: Yeah, it was a hype machine after he got yeah. traded uh, for sure. And, of course, by the way, Rodgers does have the potential Coors backing him. But oh, they yeah. are also locked up right now with Lemayhew's Story, and Arenado. Obviously, things can change on a dime, and he's, what, right. two years
1: away? Probably, yeah. Okay, so yeah. At that's least two years away.
0: That's <laughs> an eternity in baseball time. So mm-hmm. I wouldn't suggest that he's going to be traded. It could be one of the others that gets traded. But um, that would certainly help him. But I, you gave me what I wanted, which was just their okay. outlook from baseball standpoint, not just saying, well, he's in Coors, He's automatically the best. Okay. Um So, it,
1: by the way, go ahead. You can finish your point on, on Torres as being overrated. Oh, yeah, it's just, it's not by a whole lot. I think he's like one of the top 15 prospects in baseball, certainly. But he was less polished in the Fall League. If you watched him, I watched him just about, I think, want to say half of his Fall League games. Any Scottsdale home game, I'm usually there. Mm -hmm. It's my favorite Fall League stadium. Um, But he was, you know, he was kind of sloppy defensively in his approaches, Bad, uh, but just on talent, I mean, certainly one of the top 15 prospects in baseball is just a little less polished than some of the other guys up there. And, uh, yeah, and I do think that the Pinstripes have a little bit of an impact on people's opinion.
0: Absolutely. And he's only in high A, so it's going to take a little time. So just just relax, guys. Get, get some of oh. that Ahmed Rosario ganja going. Uh, <laughs> and, and make sure you read the uh, top 20 prospects for the Mets today. I'll put a link into the show notes for that. Let's shift out to San Diego. They have two guys kind of on opposite ends of the fantasy spectrum with uh, Manuel Margot as a speed guy and Hunter Renfro as a power guy. Who did it better this year to make an impact fantasy-wise?
1: Margot, I think Margot is, uh, defensively so good that he's just gonna be in the lineup every day. Okay. And, uh, steal some bases for ya. Renfro, I think the approach and the strikeouts are both red flags. I think there's probably gonna be a time in 2017 where he gets sent back down to work on some things or, uh, you know, just the outfield is, is a little bit too crowded for somebody like him with Margot and Jankowski and and some of the other guys they have there, especially if they're going to try to keep all these Rule Five guys on the roster. They drafted so many. I know. So I'd prefer Margot.
0: Okay. I, I think I would too, and and that speed component is huge, particularly in fantasy with with speed drying up. I like what Renfro can do you know he hit the uh, what he go over the 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 western metal supply yeah. building last year, and so that's that's sexy that's flash right there but uh, uh the playing time and speed for margot I, I agree with you there two other guys that I think could make an impact this year, and of course you can tell me different if, if you disagree, but uh, Roman Quinn out in Philly, another speed guy, and then Bradley Zimmer kind of a, I believe, more of an across-the-board sort of guy. Do either of them yeah. make a substantial 17 impact?
1: I have a hard time thinking that Quinn will because of Odubel Herrera's presence in Philadelphia's center field, and I think Aaron Altair is kind of poised for a little bit of a breakout there. Oh, I like hearing that. Yeah, I like Aaron Altair.
0: Okay, I've got some shares of him, and and I know he, he didn't come back great last year, but it was off of missing virtually the entire season, and I didn't mm-hmm. I didn't want to put too much stock in that. So I'm I'm happy to hear that.
1: Yeah, I I dig it on Aaron Altair, uh, and then so yeah, I, I have a hard time. I like Quinn's Speed. He's an 80 runner and has maintained that speed to fight despite several lower body injuries throughout the course of his career, mm-hmm. which is part of the reason that. Uh, scouts are just like, I can't project this guy as an average everyday player. He's never played more than 100 games in a season because he's always hurt. Um, so Quinn, I think, might be in the big leagues more than Zimmer is. Uh, but Zimmer is legit center fielder with power. There's going to be swing and miss there. But the separator, typically, for college center fielders like Zimmer, who went to uh, San Francisco, is power, and there's like plus raw in there. Uh, he might struggle initially on call-up. But as a, like, high upside flyer mid-year, I like Zimmer.
0: Me too. And I just uh, – quickly, I know he's not a prospect anymore, but how do you feel about Tyler Naquin? Because I feel – Oh, um, man, I've never been on Naquin. Yeah, and it was so weird for him to hit for that power. He struck out 30% yeah. of the time. The defense, I feel, like he was a little suspect in center. So that's where, you know, I'm feeling, you know, even if Michael Brantley isn't healthy or whatever, I, that's how I feel Zimmer can still get up there. Um and, and almost take naquin's job maybe relegate him to the bench or even back to triple a himself uh, that's why i like zimmer so much what about greg allen uh you, i know he's not nearly as high rated as zimmer but do you like him as well
1: yeah i really like greg allen i saw greg allen a lot last year i just randomly ran into him at like the cal carolina league all-star game where he walked a couple times and stole a bunch of bases and threw a guy out at third and then saw him with Lynchburg later that summer on a loaded club and he was the best as far as, uh, polish goes on that, on that club that included Justice Sheffield at the time and, and Bobby Frazier. Bradley and Yu Chang Chang. No, Frazier was, uh, up oh. in Akron at that point. Um, and then saw Greg Allen for six weeks in fall league. There are people who think. It's a luxurious fourth outfielder. Okay. That there's not enough power for him to profile in a corner and not enough pure speed and defensive ability for him to play every day in center field. I think his secondary skills are amazing and will make up for what he lacks in power in a corner. I think he's like the high OBP, high contact, plus defense type of corner outfielder. And if he gets a call up, uh Yeah, I'd be all over that guy. I think he's ready for the big leagues from day one.
0: Just five fewer walks than strikeouts in 1,456 yeah. plate appearances for Greg Allen. I really like both those guys, Allen and Zimmer. And you look around, and outside of Brantley, if he's healthy, of course, he's a staple. But then Chisholm yeah. and Naquin are just not doing it for me as guys that are going to block these two off for a, 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 con- a contending uh, team. I,
1: I put Greg Allen fourth on the Indians list okay. from – uh Earlier in the winter.
0: That's awesome. Um, yeah. okay. Next up, Victor Robles. Just what, what, what is his upside, right? We're all gushing over him. This guy is very yeah. high on all the lists and you understand it. I think there was, uh, Andrew McCutcheon comps thrown around because he was, you know, mentioned in those yeah. potential trade talks. How do you feel about Victor Robles?
1: That's interesting. I can kind of see that. Robles is that I've just, I finished writing about him late last night. Um, for the Nationals list, it's I think the first time I've written five tool player throughout the entirety of the off season prospect list series. That's I think this is the only time I've written it. A
0: true five
1: tool guy. Five tools. I talked to a scout yesterday who has Washington's org uh, from top to bottom as part of his coverage. He and uh, he lives in like the uh, the Northeast Mid Atlantic region where he's watching. Red Sox, Yankees, uh, some Braves prospects that trickle up, you know, through Not Gwinnett. Bad, and by the way,
0: to for those teams to be the ones that he's getting to see right now, all of those yeah. systems are rich.
1: Yes, and he said Robles was the best player that he has seen uh, in the last like two years. It's he's still nineteen, and the feel for contact is unbelievable like it's short to the ball but with bat speed and extension through the ball that if he ever grows into more power it's going to play in games and there are some McCutcheon like traits to the swing in that it's very reliant on just his electric hand speed and ability to move the barrel around the hitting zone McCutcheon there's not a whole lot going on uh, movement-wise, with his lower half like there is with, like, say, Josh Donaldson or Jose Bautista or something like that. Mm-hmm. He, he's still able to get his lower half into the swing because he's so athletic, but it's not noisy or uh overly noticeable. That's how Robles is. And he's also a 70-runner who's plus defensively in center field with a plus-plus arm. So if the power ever comes, and it's a one like 180, 190-pound frame, it's not... Uh, 18 year old Eloy Jimenez or Aaron Judge or anything like that. Yeah. Uh, but if he ever adds another 10, 15 pounds and some game power comes naturally because of that, then yeah, we're talking about like a perennial MVP candidate, uh, as provided he stays healthy and someone who hits 300 with, you know, 18 plus home runs and steals 30 bases. It's, it's like an all world center fielder if, if everything comes together. And so far they have. So um, he's probably going to be in the top 10 on my overall 100 and is on the short list of guys who for next year's list, the 2018 list, that I've identified as like potential top overall guys.
0: That makes sense. Just by your gut, 100% by your gut, is he a Bryce Harper replacement or do they get to play
1: together? Mm-hmm. Oh, man. No, I think someone's going to. I think someone's going to give Harper the moon.
0: The, the 400 plus mil. Yeah, I do. And it could be that pinstriped team, huh? Yeah,
1: I kind of think it might be. Yeah.
0: But yeah, so he only has t- uh, 17 <laughs> and 18 and that's probably too quick to really get Robles up there. Um, I mean, I guess he could, if he has another amazing season, My God. He could play in 18, right? And maybe get a little bit of time with Harper or is that,
1: is that, playing? yeah, he was already, I think at high A at the end of last yes, year.
0: He finished in high so
1: if he splits, 2017 between high A and double A, then he's right there, you know. Once he's in Harrisburg, he's basically there. We've seen the Nationals move guys straight from Harrisburg to the big leagues before, and, you know, if they need a spark, if, like, something happens to Adam Eaton, as it has in the past, late in the year, I don't, you know, it's there's a chance. There's a chance. Once
0: you're in double A, all bets are off now. That's just the way the league is. A lot of teams... Have shown, like you said, the 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 penchant for saying, "Listen, you're 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 a step away now. You do not need AAA anymore the way you used to maybe ten years ago." So
1: yeah, AAA there... is really like for it's for the taxi squad for your big league club. It's for the thirty two year old who, uh, if you have a double header because of a rainout and need an extra arm, yep. that's where that guy pitches and he's at AAA, so he doesn't feel shit that he's in Double A.
0: Yeah, that makes sense. That makes sense. Um, okay. Well, I guess it could have been Robles for this answer, or, or you might not have one, but who's a guy who hasn't reached double A yet? Who could make a 17 impact? And by impact, I, I guess I would mean like at least two months of playing time. So they they, they would have to play from August on or, or any two-month period, I guess. But yeah, yeah, any names that you think that are just high A so far that could make that jump?
1: I think the way Michael Kopech is going, there's a chance... Uh, He was bumping 102 today in his spring start. Oh gosh. Yeah, I, he was nails in the fall league, too. It's a legit three-pitch mix. It's high-end, top-of-the-rotation starter stuff. It's just about whether he can harness it and uh, negotiate a lineup efficiently three or four times and pitch six-plus innings. That's what we're trying to find out. And obviously he's had... Suspension and injury issues in the past that have prevented us from learning whether or not he can do that. Yeah, and I heard I. I don't want to knock the kid's makeup because I did hear that there was there was a fight with the teammate, but apparently like the other guy, who I don't know off the top of my head, kind of like had it coming, like he was. He was goading Kopech into like, – it wasn't necessarily Kopech. So we only
0: know it's uh, – we only know – Don't throw it, a it, punch with your pitching
1: hand. Yes,
0: but it sticks to Kopech because he's the big prospect. Sure. Scrub dude uh, You know, could have been the instigator and, like you said, maybe had a little bit of it coming insofar as you can never have violence coming. But, yeah, d- just don't do that, Michael. Come on. Come on. Yeah, and, and don't smoke that Ahmed Rosario Ganja in season. <laughs> I, I think he was suspended for pot. Uh, was he? I, I believe, I believe it was, I don't know if it was PEDs or, or substance abuse, but I know he had a suspension as well. Um so, you know, a l- little bit of goofiness there, but the, the, the talent sure. is so rich. And, yeah. uh, if Dave Dombrowski does, or no, excuse me, he's in Chicago now, so they, they can maybe say, listen, come on up. And, and do something big for us. That's perfect to transition into pitchers. Got a few questions for you there as well. What are your general thoughts on Tyler Glass? Now uh, we're seeing some changes from this year. Change up, Gramp altered yeah. mechanics. I've never been a huge fan, but seeing these, these these changes, obviously, I like seeing him evolve because it was the guy that he was that I wasn't as high on. How do you feel about Tyler Glass now?
1: I've always been there with you where I've just been a little bit lower on Glass now. I've always been more concerned about the chance that he becomes a reliever. Whenever I've seen him, he has struggled to throw strikes. Now, scouts, player development folks will tell you that there there's a long list of attributes, uh physical or biographical, about pitchers that are indications that things can come later than they do for uh, other pitchers, and two of those are you're really big, and it takes you forever to uh, grow into your limbs and refine your mechanics enough that you have command because obviously every uh, mechanical variation for someone like Glass now, who's six foot seven, it causes more issue in where your pitch ultimately ends up than it does for someone who's five foot eleven. like it's Absolutely. just uh, so th- there's that and the guys that throw hard, and Glass now is both of those uh so he's i think he's twenty three now
0: yes age twenty three season this okay
1: year. so uh we're starting to get to the point where you like to see him figure something out, and he's a good athlete, it's a good body, it's not like a big sloppy body, it's just he's six foot seven he's built like i've used i think i've said this several times like a whooping crane <laughs> i like <laughs> he's <that>. very bird like <laughs> So there's – and the Pirates have every reason to just keep trying him as a starter until they can't anymore. Uh, but yes, I've always been a little more pessimistic than others about his future. So unless he comes out this season and has suddenly discovered how to throw strikes – uh, he's probably the same guy.
0: Yep. I, and that, that's kind of where I'm at. Like I said, he had some changes already in his first outing Looked good, but it's two innings in spring. So we're not going to go crazy over that. I'll keep eyeing him. I'm still going to keep watching glass. And I'm not giving up on him, but you and I are just a little bit lower than, than, yeah. than the market so far. Speaking of, of some pessimism, uh, this guy was hit with it, uh, and then he was traded. Lucas Giolito. Now yeah. he and Reynaldo Lopez and Dane Dunning. But I don't think Dane Dunning is a, a seventeen guy. Uh, but Giolito and Lopez are now in Chicago. We've already talked about the fact that they're not going to be p- competing much. But both of these guys are, are have been in the majors, so they're they're knocking on the door. If they don't start with them this year, who makes a bigger seventeen impact, and who do you like better long term?
1: I think Lopez does. Lopez is more or less a finished product uh except for maybe you hope that, this, that there's another half grade of command in there mm-hmm. um you know Lopez is it's a high octane undersized righty arm that has some command issues but there's a a good three pitch mix there it's absolutely a mid rotation starter on stuff it's just can he pitch efficiently enough to to actualize that Giolito I saw yesterday was 9093 with an above-average curveball that he just did not compete with in or around the strike zone at all. I don't think he got induced to swing and miss on the curveball at all yesterday. Uh, and a decent changeup. It's like a 45-50 changeup. He missed some bats with that yesterday. Struck out Miguel Montero uh, in a sequence that included, I think, three changeups out of uh, four pitches. So the changeup is, is fine. Um, but my point is there's – it seems like there's clearly work to be done with Giolito.
0: Yeah, weren't that 80 fastball that people were talking about? Going? Right. That's why you don't and put like, an 80 on a fastball in the minors, I guess.
1: Yeah, yeah. I'm loath to do it. It's pretty rare. I think Yadier Alvarez might be the only, one of the only guys I've given, uh, like starting pitching prospects. I've got a future 80 on the fastball, but yes, uh, last year for Giolito, it was, 92 to 96 would touch 98 or 99 mm-hmm. uh for a lot of the year but you know there are things are in flux Gilito has said publicly that the that the nationals sort of tweaked his mechanics a little bit last year shortened his stride he was a little more upright um there are concerns i'm not you know tying myself in knots over his first spring start yesterday but like michael Kopak was bumping 101 Anthony Bonda with the Diamondbacks has touched 96 already this spring. Like, there are guys who are up to speed. And if Gilito's not there yet, then that's okay. Sure. Uh, but I'd rather that he were. So, I think that on this year, I think Lopez is more stable. Long term, I still believe in Gilito. Yeah, I can't,
0: He's, I can't quit him just yet. Yeah, I, mean, I can't do it. This dude. So- we were going crazy over him this time yeah. a year ago. One bad year, and it wasn't even completely disastrous. But I, I'm just I can't completely jump off board. But I think I agree with you that if I'm doing a fantasy draft for a single season, I would take Ray Lopez ahead. Um, and, well, not ahead of him. I just would let Giolito go and then take Lopez because I still think Giolito will go ahead of Re- Raymond uh, Reynaldo Lopez anyway. Yeah. But um, y- y- you're getting like a four starter type, uh, MLB four starter, not fantasy four starter out of Lopez, right? Yeah, I th- I'd say so, yeah. Okay, let's move over to Houston. They have two very interesting guys that we were able to see in the Fall League as well. Francis Martez and David Paulino. Uh, same same sort of deal here. Who do you like better
1: for 17 and then long term? Martez was always bad for me in the Fall League. He'd be sitting 95 plus, but he'd be getting tagged. And it's, it's a legitimate plus slider, though. Uh, but I never saw a good change up. It seems, I haven't done the Astros list yet, so I haven't. Taking a full headfirst dive into Martes to learn what people saw during the regular season that has everyone so excited about him. Mm-hmm. Uh, Paulino was more 88 to 92 with extreme downhill plane and a Barry Zito curveball. Um, and like fringy command. I like both of these guys. I'd, I tell you that I'm, as I sit here right now, Probably a little bit more on Paulino than I am Marte's uh, right now uh, for 2017 anyway. But know that I'm probably the low man on him at at this moment just because I saw him bad and haven't uh, gotten to the Astros list yet to talk to people who might be able to tell me otherwise. Okay.
0: I think that's yeah. fair and you know Paulino at least has has had a, a smidge of a taste in the majors as well another yeah. super tall guy 67 uh 215 but but hasn't shown those same sort of command issues usually associated with that height showed it a little bit in in the uh Dominican Summer League and Gulf Coast League when he first started with the Tigers but since he's come over and been with Houston you know his walk rates are at least there, and his, and his hit rates are solid. So uh, I haven't seen him enough in the minors to to make definitive statements. But it looks, and from what I briefly saw in fall league, his command and control looks better than a normal six seven guy based on what we just talked about how those guys can usually struggle. So I like David Paulino as well, but I think both uh, have impressive outlooks. I could see one of them maybe being moved for reinforcements though. This Houston team is is, is trying to compete now, and sure. if, they, if they needed that big piece. I can see one of them being moved, uh, this year anyway. Yep. Uh, let's move on. Uh, got another, two more of these, like, team, team comparison sort of guys. Jose De Leon and, or Brent Honeywell. Uh, we saw Brent Honeywell look really good at the Rising Stars game. They slow roast their prospects, so I will ask you yeah. on 17 impact, but I understand if you want to focus more on long-term just because I doubt either makes a huge impact this year, but who do you like better between De Leon and Honeywell for the Rays?
1: Uh, I have the same future value grade on on both these guys. We've got 55s on both of them. If forced to pick, I'd probably take Honeywell. Uh, Honeywell in the Fall League – hold on here. I have – my notes on Honeywell from the Fall Stars game are 93 to 98, sitting 95-97 with a plus screwball in the low 80s, a slider in the 88 to 91 mile per hour range. It was inconsistent but flashing above average. And then, like a, an average changeup that he was locating off uh, the corner to right-handed hitters, like he runs it back over the corner, um, that's and awesome. he, yeah, and he like can cut his changeup in weird ways at times. Like he's he's a lot of fun, and I like Jose De Leon. It's fastball command, changeup, and that's sort of the end of the list of ingredients that are there. Mm-hmm. And I think the changeup and command both need to really max out for him to have the sort of impact that I think Honeywell, Honeywell will have uh, long-term with just a deeper repertoire, similar pitchability, not the same sort of command. Uh, but I, I think that the way Honeywell uses a very deep repertoire gives him a, a little bit of a, more of a higher ceiling than uh, DeLeon.
0: I knew of Brent Honeywell coming in, but getting to see him there, definitely one of my big crushes leaving the fall league. In fact, I oh, think yeah. I, I was pretty obvious this year. Sometimes I try to go off the radar with, with a little bit with the guys that I really liked at fall league, but I went straight obvious with Honeywell and Bellinger. Those were just the two guys that left the most impact yeah. on me. And it was awesome to see them. Uh, yeah. the Reds, they don't have a, an amazing system, but it, it, it's not awful i don't i don't believe um and they have two pitchers right now that one that's been around for a while probably has a little bit of prospect fatigue another that's transitioning from basketball a few years ago amir garrett yeah amir garrett or robert stevenson do either make a 17 impact and then who do you like long term
1: uh garrett for both okay stevenson i'm um... Off as a starter. Reliever. I've always been skeptical okay. about it. Yeah, Stevenson's just a reliever for me. I uh, the breaking ball effectiveness has come and gone over the years. It's his third best pitch now it used to be an absolute hammer, and the thing that was like made up the foundation of his entire upper rotation future. Mm-hmm. Uh, but now it's like a fringy sort of loopy breaking ball, and they've had him go back to more of a splitter grip on the changeup that he had in high school. They took that away from him in pro ball. Uh, and now I've sort of given it back because he's got to have some sort of secondary offering now that the curveball has sort of gone away. So, uh, things are turning down for Stevenson. I'm on him as a reliever. And yeah, I, I mean, Amir, Amir, Amir Garrett's like 24, 25 at this point too, uh, but has that basketball background. So he was always a little bit behind developmentally. I think Garrett is going to be like a, a number three, number four starter, uh, at peak purely on volume. He's just, a a physical beast... With a very athletic, easy delivery, he's been remarkably healthy throughout the entirety of, of his career. I think that that's like a 200-plus inning workhorse, uh, but maybe not someone who's going to miss a ton of bats. There's The secondary stuff is just okay.
0: Okay, I, I, I like that though. Yeah, I've been following him for a while uh, since yeah. learning about his story from St. John's. You know, you look at the, uh, the the age meter thing that Baseball Reference does that gives you an idea of how old a guy is relative to the league, and his le- are always bad. But you have to consider that basketball factor yes. and not really hold that against him as much much yep all right uh, i went more general on this team because they have so many and you did just write about them so i felt i could i could let you freeform here on atlanta and just mm-hmm. ask you uh you know who do you like best among their pitching prospects instead of honing in on just a, a, a pair of them so you know they got a ton of guys that are kind of in that 50 to 55 range on your grades who do you like yep. best? you can name a couple names but but just who are some of the guys that, that really stand out to you for the braves
1: if max freed is what he was late last year then it's him and it's probably not close okay that was 93 to 97 with a seven curve ball from the left side. and and plus change up at the end of last year Just on movement the change up is plus but there are some uh, mechanical variances that big league hitters will probably be able to pick up on okay. uh, and if you want more detail on that you can check out the the post but yeah if he's that consistently moving forward, Then it's him. But he hasn't ever been that consistently. He's been hurt. He had Tommy John this two years because the timing of the Tommy John and the injury were awkward um, and was pitching in a ball last year and is now 23. Yeah, he, uh, so,
0: he lost a lot of time. He's from San Diego. Yeah. Uh, which trade was that? The Kimbrel trade? The Upton. He was the part Upton of the,
1: the Upton trade. And yeah. so, yeah,
0: he, he's a little bit behind the eight ball in terms of time development, but he's still just 23 and, mm-hmm. and a, le- a left-hander, so he's going to get every chance. Um, that interesting name. Probably someone that's a little bit forgotten, especially as they've added so many other arms around him.
1: Right. Yeah, and then you can't really go wrong with the guys in that org. If, if I had to sort them after peak freed i'd say allard and gohara in some order okay um gohara has, has some off-field issues that were part of his departure from seattle who was sort of purged uh their Wobegon prospects over the winter in in jackson and gohara but um but they both have good stuff yeah
0: sean newcomb what do you think is he gonna is he gonna stay mm-hmm. as a starter i know he's had major control issues Yeah, it has impressive stuff otherwise when, when it is working.
1: So, like I was saying with Glass now, those traits that allow you to sort of be more patient with pitchers who, uh, have like late bloomer traits, um, Newcomb's got all of them. He's big, he throws really hard, he's left handed, he's from a small school, uh, from a cold weather college at Hartford. Hartford, Uh, and the delivery, it's, it's a beautiful, Easy delivery. He body comps to like Roger Clemens. He's got Roger Clemens' thighs and ass. He really does. I mean, and scouts love. Yeah, he's huge. And so I'm okay with waiting. But when he was drafted, like I thought he he should have been a top ten, top twelve pick the year he was drafted, and I thought he had a future like a number two starter ceiling, someone like a five, like a four or five win annual pitcher. Mm-hmm. Uh, and to expect that at this point. Would require him to sort of add like two full grades worth of command after he's already twenty three or yeah twenty three, uh, so that's not reasonable. But uh, I'm still cautiously optimistic that eventually the enough command for him to start will come. But probably at that point he's probably a three four type more than some sort of you know ace.
0: But, hey, still a lot of upside there. Don't sleep yeah. on, on Newcomb. I'm going to shift back to hitters very quickly just because we're talking about the Braves. And I know a Braves fan who listens who would kill me if I didn't get your thoughts on Okuna and Mitan. R- Ronald Okuna <laughs> and Kevin Maitan. You rated them both 55, so it doesn't really yeah. have a major split among them. But just a couple quick thoughts on both.
1: Okuna, Ronald Okuna. <laughs> I saw Okuna during Instructional League. And he missed a lot of time with injury in 2016. So there weren't uh, a lot of opinions on him until everyone got to look at him during Instructional League. Mm-hmm. It's a high, like plus-plus bat speed. There's natural loft to the swing. It's a high-effort swing, but there's still bat control there. It's pretty unique. I do think that he's got 20 to 25 annual homer potential and is probably going to stay in center field for a while. I've gotten like Adam Jones' uh, body and sort of defensive profile comps. You know how Adam Jones is like passable in center field, but his body's starting to age and he's maybe not great there anymore. That's the sort of track that Acuna has, and you could argue that the offensive profile is, is kind of similar as well. Um, yeah, I think Acuna is going to be really good, and has made for his size, like he's kind of a, a, a strong-looking guy. Uh, is surprisingly agile in center field and made some nice plays in the uh, in the the Sally League, Sally league playoffs mm-hmm. against Lakewood uh, in center. And then Maiton is just—he's the best international amateur prospect since Miguel Sano. It's uh, hit and power from both sides of the plate. Go on YouTube and find a video of like—I have uh, a couple swings from instructional league, but he's clearly rusty. Go find the video of fifteen-year-old Kevin Maiton and look. At what like the body of a generational talent looks like at that age.
0: Don't do that at work. It's not safe for work. Yeah, he's don't, too, don't do that he's at Too work. good.
1: He's too. He's good. he's going to move to third base. He's not a shortstop long term. Yeah. He's just he's just not. The body's going to be too too big. But if he carries shortstop actions and athleticism over to third, well, you know, then you might be looking at a plus defender over there. So you don't really care. Mm-hmm.
0: Man, so Atlanta is on the right track, man. With the pitchers that we just talked about, yeah. those two guys, the top, uh, you know, Dansby Swanson we talked about earlier. We didn't even get on Ozzie Albies,
1: who is another yeah. solid guy that you put and a 60 on. I put a six on Albies. Christian Pache, who was uh, one of the Braves' international signings back in 2015, is another high-end, like, potential uh plus plus-plus defender in, se- in center field who steals, like, 30 or 40 bases and and make some sort of bat-to-ball impact as well. Uh, And if the body grows the right way, then there's a chance there's some power there too. Like, they've got a lot of of high upside uh, guys in the system. And even, like, Ray Patrick Ditter, do you know who that is? I don't. I'm looking at him right
0: now. I I was actually going to ask just because that name was interesting to me. Ray Patrick Ditter is a great name.
1: Yes. The Braves have guys from all over the world on – uh the prospect list they've got uh curacao venezuela brazil uh aruba that's where ditters from he's from aruba and um <laughs> ditter <laughs> ditters like a seven runner and has a pathological need to sort of get him. i think he had like 40 he was hit by 40 pitches last <laughs> year. so he's got an idea of the strike zone and just like clearly leans he stands right on top of the plate and leans into balls so he might be this weirdo on-base monster who's also a seven-runner and steals like 40 paces. They
0: say, <laughs> they say you can't steal first, but you kind of can if you're just going to get hit by the ball. Yeah, if so you have you a big enough elbow guard, you yeah, can. Yeah, exactly, exactly. So listen, Braves fans, you had to deal with a couple of down years, but it looks like the future it's is okay. about to be very, very bright yet again. Last pitcher question, then I'll get you out of here. Long-term, okay. Jason Groom in Boston or former Boston Red Sox, Anderson Espinosa, mm-hmm. who's now in uh, San Diego?
1: Uh, Espinoza, uh, Espinoza was the best player I saw in either Florida or Arizona during instructional league last year. It was ninety four, ninety seven, ninety four, ninety seven with movement, uh, flashing a plus plus curveball, flashing a plus plus changeup. Don't get caught up in the results that he he posted after the trade last summer. Okay, this was a teenager who, you know, from the time he was fifteen years old, maybe earlier than that, before he signed. Had a relationship with the Boston Red Sox, uh, and they changed his life. You know, they, they, they changed his life, the life of his family when they signed him as a 16 year old. And for him to be traded at like age 18 and be suddenly removed from that, not spend every spring and fall in Fort Myers with like familiar surroundings and change organizations, like that's not easy. For anyone to deal with, let alone an 18-year-old who's still adjusting to American culture.
0: I think we completely underrate that for, for these guys, Yeah, uh, and it's a major factor. That's a great call, Eric.
1: It's part of the reason you don't often see recent international signees traded. It's just because teams aren't comfortable totally uprooting a teenage kid's life. Yeah, um, and shipping them clear across the country, like literally uh, yeah, clear across the across country. Across the country. So yeah, he's filthy. Groom groom has the look. you know, it's a big six foot five inch body. He's a good athlete, delivery's good. Uh, low to mid 90s will show you 96 or 97 or at least he would uh, on the showcase circuit as a high schooler, although he was more I want to say he was probably more like 89 94 when I saw him during instructional league and looked heavier. Uh, theres some off the field stuff going on there as well and before the draft I was like, eh, I heard some of the things and was like, eh, it's not really any different than I was at the same age uh, to a degree and I was okay with it, but then since the draft I've heard other, th- other things and I'm, uh, I guess, a little bit more concerned and I just hope that the Red Sox have, and they certainly have the means, put the right sort of developmental infrastructure around the kid mm-hmm. to help uh, nurture him and, you know, allow him to deal with uh, professional baseball but on talent it's it, it's it's close um but espinoza is so electric that yeah i'd rather have espinoza okay
0: that's great eric i cannot thank you enough for your time this has been absolutely tremendous uh folks can follow you on twitter at e long and hanging. that's l-o-n-g-e-n-h-a-g-e-n i'll put the link in the uh, in the notes of course um i know washington's coming up and that's going to yeah. finish off the nl east but then what's the next division you've got four down nl west al central uh mm-hmm. nl central nl east so that leaves two more which which one's next
1: uh american league east will be next i'll be doing the yankees first to just get that behemoth off of the table <laughs> uh great. since yeah and they'll that that list comprises a pretty significant chunk of the top 100, which we'll follow soon after it. So that'll help take care of most of, of that as well. And then I'll be finishing up with the AL West because I can, you know, like drive 10 minutes to the athletics complex and get a look at their guys as I write up the list and maybe, uh, show some of the readership, like, uh, document the process itself, which would be maybe an interesting thing to put out after the lists are all done. And I've, uh, Enjoyed a, a total and complete stress-free slumber for the first time since November.
0: <laughs> that would be really cool. Uh, do, you, uh, do you have other social media where you show that or is everything on Twitter? You
1: no, know, everything everything's on Twitter. If, if there's any sort of interesting look into me like doing the Rangers or Angels or Athletics list – uh Towards the end, like that will probably be up on Fangraphs. It's just okay. an idea that I generated last night that I think might be interesting to document the process itself.
0: I, I think that would uh, actually be awesome, and I, I strongly encourage you to do that if you if you have the means and, and desire to do that because I think that's something that people would really, really enjoy. And again, I really thank good. you for your time. I'd love to have you back on In Season to talk more after we've got a few months on the books about guys who can maybe, maybe make a summer impact as well. All right. Sounds good. Thanks so much, Eric.
1: Yep.